Every Sunday on chrisandreggie.podbean.com or pick us up from iTunes, Stitcher, Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and broadcast from the KQED Newscopter high in the sky. Hey, that's because to this week we are going to be reading Godzilla vs. Barkley number one. This came out December 1993, cover date with, uh, from a Dark Horse Comics with a script by Mike Barron. Plot by a fellow we've heard of before, uh, Alan Smithy. Oh, He's a done of, a lot of good work. A lot of film work, I've noticed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, pencils by Jeff Butler. Inks by Keith Aiken. Lettered by Steve Dutro. Colors by James Sinclair. The cover is painted by Dave Dorman. The book designed by Scott Teese. And it was edited, and I would assume presided over, by Edward Martin the Third. Mm-hmm. This has a cover price of $2.95 USD and 370 can. Yep, we have a lot to unpack with this episode, so we'll dive right into the first of four bios to read, and that would start with Mike Barron, born July 1st, 1949, in Madison, Wisconsin, grew up in Mitchell, South Dakota, to strangekidsclub.com, an interview with them, Mike said, I picked up my first comic in South Dakota, Uncle Scrooge. At the University of Wisconsin, some friends turned me on to Starenko and Neil Adams. I couldn't believe my eyes. I couldn't believe people could draw like that. I was hooked. Now, after graduating from the University of Wisconsin, Mike moved to the Boston, to Boston to work on weekly alternative newspapers, including the Boston Phoenix, the Real Paper, Cream, Fusion, We, and the Boston Globe, which actually isn't an alternative paper, but yeah. it is another paper. Uh, Mike said, uh, I ended up in a basement apartment in Brighton, a half block from the Jashin Doku Academy, a storefront karate school. Every day on my way to the MTA, I passed that school. I would stare through the mist-covered windows at students moving around the hardwood floor, hearing their thumps and kiais. Like most young men, I was fascinated by karate. One day, I said screw it and went inside to talk to the teacher, Andy Bauman. Andy acquired his black belt while stationed in Korea, and he could punch through a wall. This experience would serve Mike well later when writing kung fu-oriented comics. Now, Mike would get his start with an illustrated text piece in Weird Trips Magazine, number one. That was March 1974 cover date. Story was titled, I Smoke Dope for the Government, and it was published by Kitchen Sink Press. He actually wrote this one originally for the independent paper Boston Phoenix in 1972, and Dennis Kitchen would reprint it. In an interview with CBR.com in 2015, Mike would say, I always wanted to do comics, and I started out by writing my own comics and trying to illustrate them. I was a half-assed illustrator, but I think that's how people learn. I always had an instinctive understanding of the form and just knew how to write it. I never had any natural skill with anything in my life except writing comics. It was just this conviction, and I guess I was pretty close on to the target when we, got, when we started in. 
1977, Mike would move to Madison, Wisconsin. In 1981, Mike published his first formal comic script with a Nexus, the science fiction uh, title he co-created with illustrator Steve Rude. Uh, This series would garner numerous honors, including Eisner's for both of the creators. Yeah, I think we have a list later on of the awards that Mike Barron won. Uh, Mike also created the Badger for First Comics, debuting in Badger number 1, July 1983 cover date. To NerdTeam30.com, Mike said, We had just sold Nexus to Capital Comics, and so I said, Listen, guys, I would like to get something else going. And I've been working with Jeff Butler. So I said, What do you want to draw? And he said, I want to draw druids. So we did this 10-page story about this nasty druid wizard in the 6th century who was so obnoxious that the other druids took up a collection to pay some Vikings to drop him off the edge of the world. I took that and said, and I said, boys, I got this druid comic. And Milt Grip said, we don't want a druid, give us costume crime fighter. And I thought, why would anybody put on a costume and fight crime? They would have to be crazy. I'd been reading The Minds of Billy Milligan by Daniel Keyes, and he also wrote Flowers for, for, for Algernon. Uh, The Minds of Billy Milligan was one of the first serious studies of multiple personalities, so I decided to use that as a hook to hang the character on, and I named him the Badger because in Madison, Wisconsin, where we come from, it's Badger this, Badger that, Badger Liquors, Badger Pub. Of note, the University of Wisconsin sports mascot is the Badger. That's the reason for this. <laughs> uh, so he says, I went to Jeff and I and said, Jeff, they want us to do a costume cr- crime fighter. And Jeff said, well, I'm not going to waste these 10 pages that I drew about this druid. And I said, fine, we'll shoehorn, shoehorn him in this book. And that's how Badger number one started, with the 10 pages that include the origin of Ham. And then we bring him up to speed where he meets Badger in the mental hospital. And we were off and running. Though he was certainly at the forefront of the second wave of creator-owned comics, Steve elaborated to CBR, he says, When we originally signed the deals for Nexus and Badger, we signed away the rights to those characters. It's only thanks to Dark Horse Comics' Mike Richardson that Steve Rude and I got the rights back to Nexus. But first, the, the company still holds an interest in Badger. Uh, Mike Barron and artist Jackson Geis relaunched The Flash post-crisis on Infinite Earths in June 1987. Baron and Klaus Janssen introduced the character Microchip as an ally to the Punisher in The Punisher No. 4, November 1987, cover date for Marvel. In 1988, Mike created The World of Ginger Fox for Comico, and that debuted with a cover date of September 1988. Also in 1988, Baron wrote the Dead Man feature in Action Comics Weekly, which would lead to two subsequent Dead Man limited series. Barron also created Spike, with a Y, and Feud. These are four-issue limited series penciled by Bill Reinhold and Mark Nelson, respectively. And both would be published in 1993 via Marvel Comics' Epic Comics imprint. And it was just around this time that he must have written the book that we're going to be reading pretty soon today. That's right, but across the table we have the fellow that drew the thing. Uh, Jeff Butler, born February 26, 1958, in Madison, Wisconsin. He grew up playing sports. Jeff further explained, but I was always drawing things when I was young. I was a mischievous little boy, and my mother used to stick me in the corner with paper and a pencil and tell me to draw to keep me quiet. Then came the comic books when I was little, a little older, much to the chagrin of my father. Mom thought the comic books were teaching me to read, but my father, who was a sports writer for a Madison newspaper, thought they were no good for me. Jeff further clarified, at first I read all the DC comics I'd get my hands on, and then moved on to Marvel Comics. I used to practice drawing the figures from the comic books. 
In junior high and high school at Madison West uh, High School, uh, Butler discovered fantasy through the Conan the Barbarian paperback books, and later Fritz Lieber and the Lord of the Rings books. In high school, Butler continued drawing as well as uh, keeping up with his sports activities. But Jeff was still a stud, he says. Oh, geez, this is so corny. But I was the football captain who went out with the cheerleader ca- cheerleading captain. Oh, I hate those guys. Uh, such such problems to have as a teenager. <laughs> uh, now, corniness is the least of it. Uh, now, in college, Butler studied sports illustration and did some portrait work, as well as doing some illustrations for newspapers, magazines, and posters on the side. Also, a Budweiser theme poster for the university football team. Jeff recalls, I was a fine arts major in college, and that was the College of Wisconsin at Madison, or the University of Wisconsin at Madison, uh, but he ended up splitting my time between the university and Madison area technical college so I could get some commercial art instruction. Now, Jeff Butler played quarterback for the Wisconsin Badgers at university in 1977, but he stopped because of a series of concussions. While That's a good reason to stop. That is a very, I, would, I think more people should consider stopping at that <laughs> yes. point. Uh, while in school, though, Butler met Mike Barron, who created the Nexus comic book with Steve Root for Capital Comics, as we just discussed. Uh, as we also just said, Mike moved back to Madison in 1977 and worked on the university's alternative newspaper. So they actually met right at this conflagration of things. Uh, Barron mm-hmm. sought Butler out after seeing a poster Butler had created for a UW-Madison fraternity rush, which may have been that very Budweiser poster. Uh, Butler and Barron collaborated for Capital, creating the Badger. And Jeff says, I worked on the first few issues of the comic book, but Capital was having some cash flow problems at the time, so they put their titles up for sale. And that's when it would go over to first comics yeah. after that. Uh, the, there's only the first few issues of Capital. Um, now, one of uh, Butler's teachers at MATC told him about a job opening for an artist at TSR in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin. Now, TSR, or tech, Tactical Studies Rules, uh, that's the outfit that created Dungeons & Dragons and also dozens of other role-playing tabletop games. Butler interviewed with the company and was hired in February 1984. It was a week after knee surgery, and he attended the interview on crutches. He says, When I first came to TSR, the Marvel superheroes game was just starting to roll, so I had lots of fun with these first few months doing the kind of comic book art that I loved. Now, I like working on the Marvel paintings for the book covers. I can flesh things out and make these characters look real. Butler also worked on black and white art for Dungeons and Dragons products in the Dragonlance series and did color work such as the Conan role-playing game box cover. After leaving TSR in 1989, Butler worked as a freelance illustrator and a comic book artist for nine years. He worked on projects including The Green Hornet, Godzilla, Hercules, Xena, Jurassic Park, and the monthly Ghost Rider strip for the children's television workshop magazine Kid City. His Word. Her- <laughs> That's uh, quite a little, <laughs> quite a swath of work there. Uh, his Hercules drawings appeared in a 1996 issue of TV Guide. And it was during this period in the area that Jeff drew the comic we're going to read in just a couple of minutes. But first, one of the stars, Charles Barkley, born February 20th, 1963 in Leeds, Alabama. As a junior at Leeds High School, Barkley stood 5 foot 10 inches and stood and, and weighed 220 pounds. He would fail to make the varsity team and was named as a reserve. During the summer, however, Barkley grew to six foot four and earned the starting position on the varsity as a senior. 
Uh, he'd averaged 19.1 points and 17.9 rebounds per game and led his team to a 26-3 and record en route to the state semifinals. Despite his improvement, Barkley garnered no attention from college scouts until the high school uh, semifinals where he scored 26 points against Alabama's most highly recruited player, Bobby Lee Hurt. Uh, an assistant to Auburn University's head coach, Sonny Smith, was at the game and reported seeing a fat guy who can play like the wind. Mm-hmm. Charles was recruited to Auburn University and majored in business management. He played collegiate basketball at Auburn for three seasons. Though he struggled to control his weight, he excelled as a player and led the Southeastern Conference in rebounding each year. He became a popular crowd pleaser, exciting the fans with dunks and block shots that belied his lack of height and overweight frame. It was not uncommon to see the hefty Barkley grab a defensive rebound and, instead of passing, dribble the entire length of the court and finish at the opposite end with a two-handed dunk. His physical size and skills ultimately earned him the nickname, The Round Mound of Rebound. Is that a nickname you think you'd want, Chris? I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I'd want that one, but all right. Uh, in Barkley's three-year college career, he averaged 14.8 points on 68.2% field goal shooting, 9.6 rebounds, 1.6 assists, and 1.7 blocks per game. In 1984, he made his only appearance at the NCAA tournament and finished with 23 points on 80% field goal shooting, 17 rebounds, 4 assists, 2 steals, and 2 blocks. Charles would be drafted as a junior by the Philadelphia 76ers with the 5th pick of the 1984 NBA draft. Two slots after, the Chicago Bulls would draft Michael Jordan. On November 30th, 1988, Barkley recorded 41 points, 22 rebounds, 5 assists, and 6 steals to become the first player in NBA history to record a, such a performance. Playing in 80 games and getting 300 more minutes than his nearest teammate, Barkley also had the most productive season, averaging 28.3 points on a, with a 58.7% shooting and uh, 11.9 rebounds per game. He'd earned 11 NBA All-Star Game appearances and was named the All-Star MVP in 1991. In 1993, during the NBA's 50th anniversary, he was voted the league's most valuable player. And then he had a comic book written about him, hey. uh, <laughs> where he co-stars with a fellow we're just about to introduce now. Yeah, and I do hope it's clear to everyone that uh, Chris and myself are not really big sports fans, or at least fans of basketball. Oh, the heck you say? We're doing the best we can to, to uh, give the guy his uh, propers, but... Uh, Was he on the Dream Team? He was. We'll we'll get to that later. He was on two of them, but yeah, uh, we only know the broad points of it. (laughs) (laughs) I remember hearing about a dream team. Was that anyway? But uh, so of course, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, we got uh, Godzilla. This guy debuted October twenty seventh, nineteen fifty four, in the city of Nagoya. But then the the first film was broadcast throughout Japan on November third, nineteen fifty four. In a, an American version titled Godzilla, King of the Monsters, and that was dubbed in English, debuted in, Amer- in America in April 27th, 1956. Suddenly it sprouted Raymond Burr all of a sudden that appeared <laughs> in the movie. We're not sure. And then the English version, in turn, debuted in Japan on May 29th, 1957. So it all came full circle for that. So <laughs> Gojira, which is Godzilla's name in, in Japanese, is a portmanteau of the Japanese words Gorira, which means gorilla, and Kujira, which means whale. Makes sense, because in one planning stage, Godzilla was described as a cross between a gorilla and a whale. 
One popular story is that Gojira was actually the nickname of a corpulent stagehand at Toho Studio, which owns and produces Godzilla films, but that's most likely not true. Uh, Kimi Honda, the widow of the director Ishiro Honda, dismissed this at a 1998 BBC documentary devoted to Godzilla, saying, The backstage boys at Toho love to joke around with tall stories. His temperament and origin varies from film to film, but generally Godzilla is depicted as an enormous, violent, prehistoric sea monster that's awakened and empowered by nuclear radiation. Godzilla's signature weapon is its atomic breath, a nuclear blast that it generates inside of its body and then unleashes from its jaws in the form of a blue or red radioactive heat ray. He also uh, he's also pretty good at stepping on buildings. Yeah, he's an expert at that, really. <laughs> yes. I gotta say, he's got his PhD in mm-hmm. stepping on buildings. Uh, inspired by the fictional Ritosaurus, uh, created by animator Ray Harryhausen for the film The Beast from uh, for the Beast from Twenty Thousand Fathoms, uh, Godzilla's uh, iconic character design was conceived as that of an amphibious reptilian monster based around the loose concept of a dinosaur, which. Pretty well describes him, I would I say. Yeah. That's a very apt description, yes. Uh, he has a, a distinctive dis- disyllabic roar transcribed in several comics as Screonk, including the one mm-hmm. we will be reading very shortly. Uh, this roar was created by composer Akira I- Ifukubi, who produced the sound by rubbing a pine tar resin coated glove along the string of a contrabass and then slowing down the playback. And that guy also did compose. Music for almost every Godzilla movie until the uh, late 70s, I believe. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, he's got a really unique, uh, I think you may even hear some on this very episode of his music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Godzilla's appearance has traditionally been portrayed in the films by an actor wearing a latex costume. Taking inspiration from King Kong, which came out in 1933, directed by Marion C. Cooper and Ernest B. Shodasek. Uh, special effects artist Iji Tsuburaya. All right. Had initially yeah, wanted Godzilla to be portrayed via stop motion, like that Ray Harryhausen was done, but prohibitive deadlines and lack of experienced animators in Japan at the time made suitmation more practical. I would say so. Uh, Godzilla's size is inconsistent, changing from film to film, and even from scene to scene for the sake of artistic license. In the original 1954 film, Godzilla was scaled to be 164 feet tall, or 50 meters. In the 1956 American version, Godzilla is estimated to be 400 feet tall because producer Joseph E. Levine felt that 50 meters did not sound powerful enough. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's pretty powerful. I think that's pretty good, frankly, but all right. (laughs) Now, as the series progressed, Toho would rescale the character, eventually making Godzilla as tall as 328 feet. Uh, This was so it would uh, not be dwarfed by the newer, larger buildings in uh, Tokyo skyline, such as the 797-foot-tall Tokyo Metropolitan Government Building. Godzilla has appeared in 29 films produced by Toho, three Hollywood films, numerous video games, novels, television shows, and comic books. For instance... Yeah, Godzilla vs. Barkley number one. Uh, the cover, which is a pretty nice painting by Dave Dorman, as Charles Barkley facing off against Godzilla in some dense city area. You imagine being a like a, a, a classically trained painter, and it's like, we want you to paint yeah. Charles Barkley and Godzilla. It's a living. <laughs> I, I tell you, it looks like it looks like Barkley, though. Bless him. He it did does. A good job. Oh, it, it, it's a very good job here. Uh, also on the cover, we have Godzilla breathing his atomic breath at Barkley. Uh, Charles defends himself. With a basketball. Uh, <laughs> worth noting that Charles and the basketball are both gigantic. We have a caption that promises 
Read in awe as Godzilla battles Charles Barkley in a cataclysmic game of hoops the likes of which has never before been witnessed by man. The inside cover has the book's credits and a nice pencil drawing of Godzilla and Barkley, also by Dave Dorman. Uh, now, off the coast of California, a large freighter ship is tossed and turned in a heavy rainstorm. The captain and crew are Japanese, and their dialogue is translated in the familiar comic book angle brackets around the words style. You know, if you've seen yeah. it, you know what I'm talking about. But interestingly, no caption tells us the dialogue is translated from the Japanese. You, <laughs> you, right? You just have to infer that from context and how the characters are drawn. And, you know, also, you know, Godzilla's in the book. And the captain goes, how can this be? We're in the middle of a high-pressure zone. First mate says, I'm trying to raise the American Coast Guard. Something is interfering with our transmissions. Make sure the cargo is secured and all the men are in their life jackets. Captain, when my father was a young man in Osaka, he saw Godzilla. Silence! It's bad luck to even mention his name. We're modern men. We do not believe in old legends. Except for that one about eating Pop Rocks and drinking soda at the same time. Oh, don't do that. That one's actually true. Don't do that, folks. Mm -hmm. You'll blow your stomach out. Uh, First mate says, I'm sorry to disagree with you, Captain. But sonar shows something large in the water. It's rising. It's coming right up under us. It's either Godzilla or Jaws. Uh, either way, they're in trouble. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> uh, indeed, a big bubble forms on the churning water with a bloop, bloosh. And then Godzilla rises out of the ocean screaming, Kreonk! and breaking the freighter in two. A few cars and people fall from the boat. Now, the next day... Probably. Uh, Young Matthew and his grandpa, Gramps, are strolling along a boardwalk. Matthew is a young kid in a red shirt and purple cap wearing an unfamiliar pair of Nike sneakers. I think they're meant to be Barkley's Air 180s, but they look more like Uncle Scrooge spats, right? I don't know what those are supposed to be. (laughs) Now, Gramps is wearing a gray button-down and a fedora with loafers, just like a a Gramps would wear. He looks like Gramps, yeah. Uh, yeah. Matthew's dragging Gramps along by the hand. Hurry up, Gramps. The man may be gone by the time we get there. Oh, some kind of crowd up ahead. And they got one of those cameras on a crane. Suddenly, Matthew tears away. Matthew, come back here. I'll meet you up ahead, Gramps. Matthew runs down to the beach where a commercial's being filled, and a certain NBA star just might be on set. Charles Barkley back there? Bouncer says, Beat it, kid. We're on a shoot. You gotta let me in, man. I'm Barkley's biggest fan. Wow, even bigger than that woman who named her Beagle Barks Barkley? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it turns out that Matthew isn't the only one that's shown up to get a look at the mountain of rebound. <laughs> <laughs> get in line, kid. An Australian man wearing a 76ers jersey goes, I don't know how to do an Australian accent. <laughs> I've come all the way from Brisbane. I'm Sir Charles' biggest fan. I think I'm more British. I don't know. A guy who looks like Gary Coleman crossed with Mike Tyson says, I am. And then a fella in Ray-Ban sunglasses with stupid hair says, I'm an important Hollywood producer, and I'm Barkley's biggest fan. A woman in a white bikini adds, he didn't know who Barkley was until until he met me. Bouncer says, okay, stay back. Please go around. Matthew goes, No, I gotta see Charles. I gotta. Despite that convincing argument, Matthew is hustled <laughs> off the set by security. And he meets up with Gramps again on the boardwalk. So, how'd it go? You get to talk to him? Aw, oh, they wouldn't let me anywhere near him, Gramps. They acted like I was John Hinckley or something. 
Uh, John Warnock Hinckley Jr. is an American man who, on March 30, 1981, attempted to assassinate U.S. President Ronald Reagan in Washington, D.C. That's just because that actress told him to, right? Uh, that was the whole story there, but I find it weird that they're mentioning <laughs> something 12 years after the fact. That's odd, right? It's still something. Uh, you know, there were other things in the news, if you recall, that might have been referenced. But anyway, Grab says, uh, well, now, Matthew, when you get to be as big as Barkley, you, gotta, you have to take precautions. You'll be that big someday. Yeah, then you can be a jerk to some kid who loves you. Oh, to dare to dream. <laughs> uh, Matthew asks Gramps what he'll be so big and famous for, and Gramps says, I don't know. Maybe you'll be a great warrior like Barkley. And uh, no, the Golden State Warriors are from California. Charles Barkley plays for the 76ers. Mm-hmm. Gramps fumbles in his pocket for something to give to young Matthew. I might have something in here in my pocket that could help you. There's a magic silver dollar my grandpa gave me when I was your age. It has magical properties. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I give this to you. You'll magically quit your whining. (laughs) What's it ever done for you? Boy, I once pitched a no-hitter against New York. Now, I ain't saying I didn't have the ability. You pitched a no-hitter against the Yankees? No, it was the New York Elite. Now, Gramps is alluding to having played in baseball's Negro Leagues, which is generally accepted as seven non-white baseball teams operating between the years 1920 and 1948. Now, we say generally accepted as because non-white people played baseball in loosely affiliated leagues as far back as 1865. Yeah, I mean, there's a point where it's just any nine guys wanted to make a team, they just... They were a team. They made it happen. (laughs) Uh, Though there actually never was a New York elite. There was the Baltimore Elite Giants, and there were the Brooklyn Eagles, but never a New York elite that I could find. Hmm. But maybe Gramps is misremembering, or maybe this is just a made-up factoid in a silly comic about a basketball player facing off against an atomic dinosaur. One of the two. One of the two. Definitely one of the two. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Now, Matthew is pleased with this silver dollar, and he begins flipping it happily. He'll make a a great two-face in in about ten years. Yeah. Uh, now, there's some uh, commotion further down the beach uh, near the shore. Two surfers are tending to a prone man. A life vest lies nearby. Looks like a drowning victim. One of the surfers goes, call an ambulance. And Gramps might have gone to do just that. He sort of vanishes <laughs> for a minute. Uh, Matthew walks over to the surfers and drowned man. Lifeguard comes running over in full Baywatch stride, but he just... Stands around with the rest of them. I guess because the, <laughs> Makes sur- an entrance, the like. surfers have it in hand. Uh, a, a brunette surfer that's uh, more kneeling with the victim says, Don't worry, mister. An ambulance is on the way. And the guy on the ground says, Silla, stand back, kid. Give him some room. He's trying to say something. What is it, mister? Godzilla is coming. Warn the authorities. Evacuate. The coast. Godzilla? He must be in shock. No, man. Don't you know who Godzilla is? The lifeguard says, never heard of him. Although, in his defense, he was literally born yesterday, so that's <laughs> he's okay. Born yesterday under a rock. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Matthew goes, he's a monster. I guess he's the biggest monster of all time. They call him the king of the monsters. I mean, to be honest, he mainly calls himself that but it is it is his nickname so it's it's true the blonde surfer goes what are you king of the liars 
Maybe someday, but uh, for now, he'll have to settle for just being the Duke of Liars. That's right. He's got to grow a little up before he can be king of something. Sure. His grandpa said he'd be great one day. Exactly. King of the Liars, boy. <laughs> uh, Matthew points out to the ocean behind this small crowd of people. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Look out there. Yep. It's Godzilla. Godzilla! Uh, we already said that. Godzilla whips out of the water with a squeak and starts lumbering towards the shore. Everyone is scrambling to get away. But Matthew has an idea. But Gramps, the magic silver dollar, I can use it to stop Godzilla. Why, are you going to pitch a no-hitter against him or something? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> Gramps says, Matthew, you are ready to take on Godzilla. Not me, Gramps. Barkley! So, Matthew runs off and hops onto an unattended skateboard and races down the boardwalk. This is a, this is a hell of a line here. I love it. <laughs> Charles Barkley is Earth's greatest warrior. Only he can stop Godzilla. Man, we really must have been hurting for great warriors in the 1990s. I mean, I guess we, I guess we just had the ultimate warrior, and that was it, right? Him and Barkley. <laughs> Well, we also had uh, we also had Guy Gardner, so we have uh, oh, that, the that was, warrior, that's right. Charles Barkley, <laughs> and Guy Gardner. So finally, Matthew reaches the set where Barkley's commercials being filmed, and some fighter jets streak overhead. Man, those aren't going to stop that old monster. Godzilla has made it to land. Uh, by the way, he's in the background, tromping around and yelling, "Screonk!" <laughs> Guess they got to learn the hard way. They learn all right, firing missiles at Godzilla that explode harmlessly on his hide. Godzilla fires off some atomic breath with a sash, exploding a jet immediately, but the pilot does eject in time. Matthew is still skating towards the commercial set, specifically towards a plank of wood conveniently leaning against a crate. <laughs> he thinks to himself, Barkley's still here, but he's leaving. Gotta see him now. And then he shouts, Hey, Charles! Despite Matthew's claim that Barkley's leaving, he's just sort of standing around with the bouncer and some lady. <laughs> are, are they are they not aware that Godzilla is destroying fighter jets like 100 feet away? I mean, they got to be right there. you got to smell the gasoline. They're just like, <laughs> oh, I guess. It's like I, the radiation's in the air, right? I guess we should pack up and go pretty soon anyway. Uh, <laughs> Barkley says, wait a minute. I thought I heard a kid call my name. And the bouncer says, gotta leave now, Mr. Barkley. There's a monster down the beach. Lady goes, you're due at the Optimist Club at noon. Uh, Optimist International is an international service club organization with almost 3,000 clubs and over 80,000 members in more than 20 countries. Optimist International's motto is Friend of Youth. And the organization also uses the branding statement, bringing out the best in youth in our communities, and in ourselves. And that's what Never heard of them. Me neither, but apparently Charles <laughs> Barkley was a big proponent of them, so the, good deal. Just yeah. then, Matthew launches off that makeshift ramp right into the mix, and he lands in Charles Barkley's arms. <laughs> hey, Charles! <laughs> I gotta talk to you, man! Nice entrance, kid. What's up? Though Barkley's attendants try to dissuade him, Charles crouches down and listens to young Matthew. What you want, kid? You gotta stop Godzilla! Take this dollar! And then some sleazy guy with a ponytail says, There's a time and place for this, Mr. Barkley. Yeah, when, uh, whenever Godzilla shows up, or whenever that is. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Barkley says, I don't have to stop that ugly monster, and I don't want your dollar. You want to give me a dollar? Buy a ticket to the game. 
Although you'll need uh, 74 more of those silver dollars for the cheap seats. <laughs> but Charles, only you can stop Godzilla because you're Earth's greatest warrior. I mean, after Michael Jordan, but he's all the way in Chicago. Uh, maybe, maybe we shouldn't have said that. Maybe we shouldn't have mentioned that. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Barkley says, hmm, you may have a point there. What's your name, kid? Matt. And the lady goes, we have to leave now, Mr. Barkley. You know what? You're fired. What? You heard me. Go on. Take a hike. And the sleazy guy says, What if you say something that offends someone? Like a little old lady in Vermont. Barkley says, You guys, tell her to write me, okay? Now give us some space. You just fired these people. I know. <laughs> they're, not gonna, they're not gonna go tell that a little old lady in Vermont to anything, right? I mean, you know, on, on your way out, you know, can you please make sure you do a last bit of annoying work for me? And, uh, <laughs> Also, can anyone tell us why this scene even happened? I'm not sure what's even happening here. Is it like an inside joke that they? I don't know. I I, I thought maybe these people might be attend like actual attendants like of people Barclay, in his inner circle. Yeah, we could find nothing that uh nope. that they're anybody. So I don't know what that's about. Uh, so now Charles Barkley and Matthew are speeding along the highway in a convertible. I'm gonna assume it's. Barkley's convertible, not Matthews. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Godzilla lurches in the background, swatting at fighter jets and stomping through a raging fire. Barkley says, okay, what makes you think I could stop Godzilla, even if I wanted to? It's an ancient legend my grandpa told me. All you need is the magic silver dollar, which I got right here. Your grandfather told you no such thing, you little liar. Hey, maybe he is the king of all liars. He's definitely getting there. He's got, you know, <laughs> keep working at it. Ancient prophecy. Get out of here. <laughs> Let me see that thing. Hmm. An 1889 Morgan silver dollar in fine condition. You know, people really do underestimate the quantity of expert numismatists playing for the NBA, but a lot of them are really into coins. Yeah. They're really into it. <laughs> maybe you got to put it in your mouth or something. <laughs> You don't put strange money in your mouth. You don't know where it's been. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> you know, I, we've been reading this for a little while now, and, and we knew that it would have an important moral lesson in here somewhere. Right? It's a, this is a good, don't put money in your mouth, kids. It's not. I don't know where it's, it's been. It's not good, yeah. Uh, so Barkley and Matthew pull onto a blacktop basketball court in a pretty dirty-looking section of town. <laughs> Wait, there's a hoop. <laughs> <laughs> Pull in there, Charles. I want to show you some moves. You want to show me? How tall are you? 4'10", just like a little shotgun. Oh, God. <laughs> Tell you what, I'll play you for that silver dollar. You'll play me? There, there, uh, yeah. Isn't Godzilla destroying a city, right? There's always time for a little pickup game, Chris. There's a little b-ball. That's all they'll get to That's the minute. Right. Yeah. That's right. You don't care about what Godzilla does to the city. I guess I gotta teach you a lesson. That's some good trash talking, kid. You got a good future ahead of you. Got a future in that. They decide to flip a coin to see who takes the ball first, and uh, what do you know? It happened. They happen to have a silver dollar right there at hand. Matthew flips it. And the coin lands on edge. Man, I don't believe it. It landed on the edge. Your best chance of this happening is with a nickel, because they're thickest. Uh, and there's still only a 1 in 6,000 probability. Matthew goes, you toss it, Charles. Okay, I'll give it a whirl. 
he does have a decent free throw average after all. He, right? he does. Like I gotta say, most most of the time that stat is like lower than a third. And he had you know one year he was over fifty percent. So mm-hmm. big. Now Charles stoops down to retrieve the coin, but when he touches it, he grows to a gigantic size. Godzilla size, some might say. Mm. Barkley looks over his shoulder and sees Godzilla destroying everything with his atomic breath. He's like a block away, too. You know what I mean? You don't, you don't need to be a giant to see you. You really think this would have been a bigger topic of conversation, you know, just like yeah. instead of, I got to show your ass on the court. But anyway, <laughs> so now Giant Barkley says, yeah, Matt, I see what you mean. Now I feel like playing some hoops. After this, the NBA would put a height limit of 100 feet on play, on they all players. To, they had to. They it, had to. It was not it was unfair. unfair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a newscopter is buzzing around Godzilla, and for some reason, we can hear the newscast from the helicopter. Yeah, the broadcaster says, So far, there's been no loss of life. Is she kidding? We can see people dying in this very panel. I mean, look at this person, like, beneath, <laughs> in between Godzilla's feet. <laughs> that person doesn't make it. No. Uh, the, uh, woman on the uh, helicopter says, But now the monster is in the financial district. The governor's hands are tied. Any force sufficient to destroy the monster would result in a massive loss of life. Doing nothing will also result in a massive loss of life, right? Yeah. <laughs> this, this is one of those uh, tough decisions there, Governor. You can't afford just to sit and let this go. Yeah, you got to do something. <laughs> uh, Janet, uh, on the helicopter, she, she says, this is Janet Planet reporting live from the KQED newscopter. I wish you'd mentioned that before bumming everyone else out, right? I know, you should have led with that. We've just been informed by the Japanese Ministry of Defense that the monster's name is Godzilla. So everyone's been living under a rock for 40 years now? Yeah, apparently only Matthew and Charles Barkley ever heard of Godzilla. <laughs> I don't know why everyone else in the world, who's that, what? Japan is sending a special team to help fight Godzilla, but it may already be too late. Because Godzilla's got to be home in time for dinner, or else he gets a whooping from Ma. Yeah. Wait a minute. Something's happening. It's Charles Barkley walking down the street, dribbling a basketball, which also conveniently increased in size. That is nice, yeah. Yeah. Barkley says, hey, hey, you sorry suitcase-looking sucker. I'm talking to you. And Janet says, this is unbelievable. It's Charles Barkley, and he's 300 feet tall. He's addressing Godzilla. I'm going to put this on the air. And the helicopter actually flies close to Barkley's <laughs> head in order to conduct an interview with him. It's amazing. It's, it's, it's Charles, you got to imagine Charles Barkley, a giant Charles Barkley head, <laughs> talking to a helicopter is, is what this panel is. Uh, so Janet says, Charles, I'm Janet Planet with KQED News. What are you doing? <laughs> Oh, I'm just chilling out. <laughs> Sorry. Charles Barkley says, I'm going to try to lead the monster out of the city. How do you plan to do that? I'm going to challenge him to some one-on-one. It's a known fact that Godzilla is a sucker for b-ball. Really? <laughs> no one in the city has any clue what or who Godzilla is. <laughs> really? I mean, <laughs> We have tidbits now? We've got flashbacks? All I know God's... about him is he loves basketball, but I, no one told me he was a 500-foot tall dinosaur. <laughs> that I didn't know. I didn't know that. <laughs> but he is down for a game of pickup. Loves b-ball, uh, <laughs> now, Charles Barkley tosses the basketball at Godzilla's head to taunt him, <laughs> to which Godzilla lets loose a blast of atomic breath. Ever hear of mouthwash? Didn't think so. Let's go. I know a place in the valley. Barkley leads Godzilla to the Scarf Air Force Base. 
the Missile Command Center, which is closed. And uh, doesn't really exist from what we can tell. I could not find that one. Mm. Godzilla and Barkley stand before a large structure that has a satellite dish at the top. A satellite that looks like it could be a pretty decent backboard in basketball hoop. Mm, Bar- Barkley says, there's our basket, the old shuttle scaffold. We'll play to 15, and just to show you what a nice guy I am, I'm going to let you have the ball. Give me your best game, and if you breathe on me, I'm going to take it personal. A long shot shows a nearby highway is clogged with traffic. In both directions, meaning that as many people are driving <laughs> towards Charles Barkley and Godzilla as are fleeing. Very weird. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe they haven't heard Janet Planet's news report. Yet. Probably not. Yeah. Uh, now, the, the newscopter is uh, also headed towards Barkley and the King of Monsters. We see them. Charles and Godzilla are going at it at Scarf Air Force Base. And Matthew and Gramps are also headed toward the scene. Hurry, Grandpa. I can see them. I see them, too. Don't know why we got to be rushing toward danger. Seems to me we should go the other way. Now there's a sensible fellow. Yeah, really. He might be in the he might be in the wrong book. Uh, Matthew goes. I got Charles this gig. I'm like his manager now. Boy, he doesn't even know your name. Sure he does. It's a uh, Larry, right? Larry wasn't it? something like that. Yeah. Tommy. I don't, you know. Now the game begins. Godzilla dribbles past Charles Barkley to the basket. Godzilla hits Barkley with his tail and sinks the ball with a triumphant scram. Barkley says, "Uh huh. Okay. You sure you never played in the NBA? Cause that was a major league hit." To which Godzilla says, "Snarf." But now Sir Charles has the ball. Show you how we do it in the West. Uh, right, yeah, Barkley had just been traded to the Phoenix Suns not long before this issue, but we'll get to more of that later on. When, when he was knighted, too. That is uh, what happened, exactly, yeah. <laughs> Godzilla answers with a snarr. Now, in a pretty nice-looking two-page spread, uh, Charles Barkley, a little, little all over the place, but the yeah. art is very tight in this whole thing. It is. Charles Barkley runs a clinic on Godzilla, even elbows Godzilla in the face and hangs <laughs> on the rim of the basket after dunking a ball. Now a, a crowd is amassed at the base of a nearby mountain. They've gotten it. They've gotten it together to hold a huge banner reading "Go Charles" aloft. I, really? I mean, did someone just have that in their trunk? They were just like, "Oh boy, you know, I'm sure glad I went to the Charles Groden Festival before this." Uh, <laughs> during the, during all this during this two page spread, Barkley says, "Hooey! I need to get you a deodorant endorsement." In your face, Godzilla. Excuse my elbow, good-looking, but I got an appointment. Whoop, there it is. Matthew goes, he's doing it, Grandpa. Barkley's beating Godzilla. He hasn't you won yet, Matt. That big old monster's getting mad. Charles Barkley charges at Godzilla with the ball, and Godzilla lets loose his atomic breath with a foosh, and that reduces the ball to molten rubber. What's the matter with you? You gonna trash the ball when the game doesn't go your way? You got some moves. Little work, you could maybe get a tryout with the Bulls, one of those second-rate teams. You don't need to be toasting the opposition. Where's your sense of honor? Barkley puts his arm around Godzilla's shoulder and has a chat. Come here, let me talk to you. You just need the right attitude and the right equipment. I know some people could make you some shoes. And soon, in a remote canyon in Utah... Charles Barkley and Godzilla are set up at another giant basketball court. This one appearing to have a more regulation net. I mean, it's obviously not regulation, but right. uh, you get the idea. It's like a thousand feet in the air, and it's like, <laughs> but it looks more like a real basketball thing. It does. 
Barkley says, Okay, you got your 13,000 Triple E sneakers. You got your hoop. I want you to do one million layups. I'll be checking on you. Godzilla is indeed wearing a tremendous pair of blue on black Nike Air Force Max CB sneakers. That's right, Barkley's own. Uh, mm. Barkley says, All right, let's get busy. See you in about 100 years. And the caption reads as Godzilla pulls a layup. Godzilla got busy. <laughs> the next panel, Charles is wearing a white blazer and drinking a hot beverage on a plane. He's sitting next to some lady. Yeah, and she goes, what'll you do in the city, Charles? Got to see a boy about a buck. Matthew is on a basketball court, arguing with some slightly taller kid that looks like Howdy Doody. Yeah, Howdy Doody kid says, do not. Do too. Do not. Do too. You don't know Barkley, and you can't switch that ball. I do, and I can. Just forget about Barkley. I'll bet you a buck you can't switch that basket. I don't have a buck. But then, from off-panel... Yo, Matthew! Charles! Wow! <laughs> Barkley produces that magic silver dollar. I owe you a dollar. Matthew takes a shot with the basketball, and it catches nothing but net. There it is! Swish! Yes! And so at the very end, the howdy-doody-looking kid produces a dollar, as promised. Mm-hmm. The end. One of the oh, my. weirder ends, endings, <laughs> of one of the stranger comics we've read in memory. Uh, I remember when this ending happened, I was like, that, that's it? Oh, That's it? All right, I guess that's good enough then. Everything has worked out. Perfectly well. Godzilla is uh, doing layups for a hundred years. Hundred years. Uh, he's got everything's fine. So uh, that wraps up the comic. Uh, I had a good time with it. I got to say. Oh boy, it's that was a blast. Definitely a fun comic. It's. I would don't know if good would be the descriptor, but <laughs> definitely a lot of fun and uh, definitely a silly time. Uh, we're going to take a little break right now, and we'll come back and we'll tell you more about the fine people involved with this work. A motion picture soundstage in Northern California. Filming is about to start on a national TV commercial for Nike shoes. And to pull it off, their ad agency has lined up an all-star cast. As the heavy, they've signed Japanese film legend Godzilla. He's defeated Mothra. He's defeated Angelus and Mechagodzilla. But he's never faced an adversary like this. Godzilla's new screen rival is going to be basketball superstar Charles Barkley. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to this Slam Jam episode of the Cosmic <laughs> With the comic behind us, let's uh, pop back in and see where the creators wound up after that. We're going to start with Mike Barron. Baron has also written numerous other mainstream characters, including Batman and several Star Wars adaptations for Dark Horse Comics. In 2014, Baron would publish Biker. This is his first novel about reformed motorcycle hoodlum Josh Pratt. Uh, this is first a P first appeared in the Bad Road Rising series. In uh, 2018, Liberty Island Press plans to release six Josh Pratt novels, as well as Disco, a story about a boy and his dog. 
Uh, Mike recently created Q-Ball. This is a comic about martial arts and espionage, and did that along with Barry McLean Jr., the artist. Uh, first issue gonna, it was released uh, February 2018. He's been nominated for Best Writer in the Kirby, Harvey, and Eisner Awards, and has won a pair of Eisners for Best Single Issue and Best Writer Artist Team, both with uh, Steve Rude for their work on Nexus. Mike Barron received an Inkpot uh, Ink Award in 1988, and he now lives in Fort Collins, Colorado, with his wife and three dogs. You can check him out at bloodyredbaron.net. And then Jeff Butler joined the Raven Software art staff in the fall of 1997 after returning to his native Madison, Wisconsin, and began learning computer game art. Butler served as the 2D art lead on Heretic 2 and has worked on other games such as Soldier of Fortune and Star Trek Elite Force. Jeff has been part of the art team for Star Wars Jedi Knight 2, Jedi Outcast, X-Men Legends, X-Men Legends 2, Rise of Apocalypse, and Marvel Ultimate Alliance. He's also been part of the core team for X-Men Origins, Wolverine, and Wolfenstein. These are all video games, by the way, if you didn't... Yes. That wasn't clear. It wouldn't have been clear to me if I hadn't <laughs> seen where it came from. Uh, Butler married his high school sweetheart. That's right. The cheerleading captain that mm-hmm. he dated in 1985, and they lived together in Wisconsin. So isn't that a lovely story of the school jock and Happy school cheerleader ending. living yes. happily ever after? Uh, give his website a look at jeff-butler.com, and we'll put both of those in the show notes. Absolutely. Uh, we'd be remiss not to mention Godzilla vs. Barkley, the Nike commercial. This is a uh, commercial for Nike in 1992. Uh, from Wikipedia, we've got, at the beginning of the commercial, Godzilla is rampaging through Tokyo when he hears Barkley dribbling a basketball. In response, the monster dons a pair of pink goggles and prepares for a basketball game, in which the two will use the O from a Tokyo sign on a building as their hoop. Godzilla knocks the ball from Barkley's hands with his tail, but Barkley retrieves it and pushes Godzilla into a building, clearing a path for an easy slam dunk. Afterwards, Barkley and Godzilla are seen walking through the streets together, with Barkley's arm on Godzilla's shoulder. Barkley tells Godzilla that the Lakers are looking for a big man. And the spot concludes with the Nike swoosh logo. Another ending used in the commercial has Barkley asking Godzilla, have you ever thought about wearing shoes? So look at that. Things right from the comic are... Art, art, lim- art imitating life. Exactly. Art imitating <laughs> art imitating life or whatever. Uh, Godzilla vs. Shark- Charles Barkley, the commercial, was conceived by advertising agency Whedon and Kennedy and produced by Industrial Light and Magic. That's right. The Lucasfilm guys, the guys did the original Star Wars, did the commercial. It was originally intended for Japanese audiences, but Nike was impressed enough to use it in the United States, where it debuted on September 9, 1992, during the MTV Video Music Awards. The commercial took six weeks to produce and used conventional suitmation techniques developed by Toho for its Godzilla movies. Some of the small buildings on the set were used in the movie Ghostbusters, the one 1984 directed by Ivan Reitman, which I... Just thought it was a cool thing. <laughs> that, is a, that is a neat tidbit, yeah. Uh, let's wrap up uh, the man himself, Charles Barkley. During the 1989-90 season, despite receiving more first-place votes, Barkley finished second in MVP voting uh, behind the Los Angeles Lakers' Magic Johnson. He was named Player of the Year by the Sporting News and Basketball Weekly, and he averaged 25.2 points and 11.5 rebounds per game and a career high of 60% shooting. 
Yeah, these are good numbers, folks. I, They're very I, good numbers. I, we yeah. came to find out that, that this is actually quite good. Uh, the 1991-92 <laughs> season was Barkley's final year in Philadelphia. In his last season, he wore number 32 instead of his regular 34 to honor Magic Johnson, who had announced prior to the start of the season that he was HIV positive. Though the 76ers initially retired the number 32 in honor of Billy Cunningham, it was unretired for Barkley to wear that season. In his final season with the Sixers, averaging 23.1 points on 55.2% shooting and 11.1 rebounds per game, Barkley earned his sixth straight All-Star appearance. He ended his 76ers career ranked fourth in team history in total points, 14,184, third in scoring average, that was a 23.3 percentage, and or points per game, and third in rebounds, that's 7,000. 79, 8th in assists, 2,276 assists, and 2nd in field goal percentage, that's 57.6%. Now, despite his good performance, Barkley demanded a trade out of Philadelphia when the, after the Sixers failed to make, a, the, post, make the postseason with a 35-win, 47-loss record. Barkley was initially traded to the Los Angeles Lakers before the end of the season, but the 76ers wound up retracting their deal a few hours later. On July 17, 1992, he would officially be traded to the Phoenix Suns. Now, with the Suns, Barkley averaged 25.6 points with 52% shooting, 22.2 rebounds, and a career-high 5.1 assists per game, which led the Suns to the NBA to an NBA best record: uh, 62 to 62 wins, 20 losses. Wow. For his efforts, uh, Barkley won the league's most valuable player award again. He became the third player ever to win the league MVP honors in the season immediately after being traded. Uh, but after, as a result of severe back pains, Barkley began to speculate that the 1993-94 season would be his last in Phoenix. Playing through the worst injury problems of his career, Barkley managed 21.6 points on 49.5% shooting and 11.2 rebounds per game. With Barkley fighting injuries, the Suns still manage a 56-wins, 26-loss record and made it to the Western Conference semifinals. Now, the 1995-96 through 96 season would be Barkley's last with the Phoenix Suns. He led the team in scoring, rebounds, and steals, averaging 23.3 points with 50% shooting, 11.6 rebounds, and a career-high 77.7% free-throw shooting. Wow. Uh, that's that's wild. That is impossible. That's, like, almost unheard of. You know? and, and I'll tell you something, Chris. It shouldn't be. I'd never understand why these guys can't make these free throws. I don't understand. Well, maybe, maybe this is this is why he is looked at as the world's greatest warrior. I guess so. That's right. <laughs> Charles would earn his tenth appearance in an All Star game as the top vote getter among Western Conference players. He also became the tenth player in NBA history to reach twenty thousand points and ten thousand rebounds in their career. The round mound of rebounds. Mm. <laughs> uh, the trade to the Houston Rockets in 1996-97 season was Barkley's last chance at capturing an NBA championship title. To begin the season, Barkley was suspended for the season opener and fined $5,000 for fighting Charles Oakley during a November 25, 1996 preseason game. In his first game with the Houston Rockets, Charles Barkley had a career-high 33 rebounds. He continued to battle injuries throughout the season and played only 53 games, missing 14 because of a laceration and bruise on his left pelvis, 11 because of a sprained right ankle, and 4 due to suspensions. 
I wonder if that Charles Oakley maybe screonked at him. <laughs> Probably, him yeah. a Godzilla flashback. <laughs> uh, now, the 97-98 uh, season was another injury-plagued uh, injury year for Barkley. He averaged 15.2 points with a 48.5% shooting and uh, 11.7 rebounds per game. The Rockets ended the season with a 41-41 record and were eliminated in five games by the Utah Jazz in the first round of the playoffs. The 99-2000 season would be Charles Barkley's final year in the NBA. Initially, Barkley averaged 14.5 points on 47.7% shooting and 10.5 rebounds per game. Barkley's season and career seemingly ended prematurely at the age of 36 after rupturing his left quadriceps tendon on December 8, 1999 in Philadelphia. Refusing to allow injury to be the last image of his career, Barkley returned for one final game on April 19, 2000 in a home game against the Vancouver Grizzlies. Mm. Uh, Barkley competed in the 1992 and 1996 Olympic Games and won two gold, med med uh, gold medals even as a member of the United States men's basketball team. Of course, this is that dream team we mm. mentioned earlier. Yeah. Uh, since 2000, Barkley has served as a studio analyst for Turner Network Television. He appears on the network's NBA coverage during pregame and halftime shows, in addition to special NBA events. He also occasionally works as an on-site game analyst. Additionally, since 2011, Barkley has served as a studio analyst for the joint coverage of the NCAA Men's Division I basketball tournament between Turner Sports and CBS. Barkley married Maureen Bloomhart in 1989, and the couple have a daughter together born that very same year. You know, going through this, you know, we, don't, we obviously don't get a lot of opportunity to go through a sports career here think, on the yeah. Cosmic <laughs> Treadmill. Uh, I, I, really, I really find it interesting, though, when you just look, when you boil a guy down to his numbers and you track his career. Uh, you know, obviously that's not everything to a person, but seeing the rise and fall right there in the, in the number, Absolutely. I, I just really find it interesting. Like, you know, he's, he starts slipping fewer rebounds, you know, the percentage just starts to go down just a little hair and you could tell he's, uh, lost his mojo. Starts, uh, yeah, the injuries start catching up. But anyway, I'm sure he's doing just fine now. He's okay. Let's not cry for Charles Buck. No, Sir uh, Charles. We can, we, we can, yeah, he was knighted at some point. Right. Uh, and now we can learn if we should be crying any for Godzilla. Uh, I don't know. He's one of the most recognizable symbols of Japanese popular culture worldwide and remains an important facet of Japanese films. He embodies the kaiju giant monster subset of the tokusatsu action drama genre. Uh, Godzilla has been considered a filmographic metaphor for the United States as well as an allegory of nuclear weapons in general. Godzilla represented the fears that many Japanese held about the atomic bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki in 1945 and the possibility of that happening again. In 1996, Godzilla received the MTV Lifetime, uh, MTV Lifetime Achievement Award, which I didn't know was a thing, but no, I guess it was. I, sure. <laughs> Godzilla was also given a star in the Hollywood Walk of Fame in, 20, in 2004. Uh, Godzilla's success inspired the creation of numerous other monster characters, such as Gamera, the giant turtle of Japan, Reptilicus of Denmark, Yangiri of South Korea, Pulgasari of North Korea, 
Gorgo of the United Kingdom, who had a comic published by Charlton and drawn by uh, Steve Ditko, mm-hmm. and the Cloverfield Monster of the United States. Pretty much any giant monster busting down buildings owes its he's, he's legacy DNA, to Godzilla. Yeah, yeah that's <laughs> pretty much the first guy to do it. But there's a huge legacy of Godzilla also all in the comics, and since that's what this podcast is actually about, <laughs> thought we would close out with some of that. So... In his native Japan, Godzilla has been featured in various comic books since his inception in 1954. These comics were mostly black and white publications known as manga. The vast majority of these comics were adaptations of the films. Every film from Godzilla to Godzilla 2000 Millennium, which came out close to 2000, received a comic book adaptation, and several films have had several manga interpretations with the exception of King Kong vs. Godzilla, which has no <laughs> manga for it. Uh, outside of these ad- adaptations, Godzilla has also featured in original stories as well. A sequel story to the original film was published in 1955 called The Last Godzilla, while a sequel story to Godzilla Raids Again was published in 1958 called Godzilla 2 Angiris Strikes Back. In 1979, the Japanese edition of the science fiction fan magazine Starlog featured a two-part illustrated story written by Katsuhiro Otomo called A Space Godzilla. Yeah, Otomo is uh, famous for Akira. Oh. Um, yeah, in 1991, an anthology-style comic featuring different stories by different writers and artists was published, and that was called The Godzilla Comic. This was followed in 1992 by The Godzilla Comic Strikes Back. Gigante is the fire comic. Huh. Uh, now, these stories would range from typical Godzilla tales to comedic stories to violent stories to even adult-themed stories that featured nudity. Uh, Godzilla with boobs? <laughs> that's, what? That's, a, that's a striking image. Yeah. In uh, 2014, to coincide with the 60th anniversary of Godzilla and the 40th anniversary of the company's own big comic original magazine, Shokokugan Incorporated released the comic Big Comic Original Godzilla Special Issue. This one-shot comic featured 21 Godzilla-themed comic stories from the industry's top manga artists and writers. Since 1976, there have been various Godzilla comics published by different comic book publishing companies in the United States. The first Godzilla comic published in the U.S. was a promotional comic produced in the summer of 1976 as part of the publicity promoting the upcoming U.S. release of the film Godzilla vs. Megalon. This is just a small four-page comic book adaptation published by Cinema Shares International Distribution Corp. That's a friendly-sounding name company. <laughs> uh, and given away for free at movie theaters. The comic featured no credits and no cover. It was magazine size and printed on newsprint. Comic is infamous for getting names with two of the major characters wrong, as Jet Jaguar <laughs> is referred to as Robot Man, and Gigan is referred to as Borodon. Hmm. Now, uh, uh, Godzilla also made the big time here. From uh, cover dates August 1977 through July 1979, Marvel Comics would publish Godzilla King of the Monsters. Ran for 24 issues and was written by Doug Mensch with art by Herb Trimp. Uh, The series put Godzilla completely into the Marvel Universe. Yeah, over the course of the series, Godzilla crosses the continental United States and eventually winds up in New York City. 
Godzilla would encounter and fight Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. during the series, gaining a, a mutual affection with uh, Dum Dum Duggan, or Dugan, however we want to say sure. that this time. I say, I say it both <laughs> ways myself. Yes, me too. <laughs> I, I never even know which one I'm going to say until I say it. Uh, Godzilla also crosses paths with the champions, the Fantastic Four, Devil Dinosaur and Moon Boy, and the Avengers. Uh, Spider-Man has a brief cameo in the final issue. Marvel lost the rights to Godzilla in 1979 though they would reference the character and his created world for years to come. Uh, they also, uh, not too long ago, but also not too recently, put out an Essentials Comics version of the um, uh, the black and white version of the of the Godzilla comics. Yeah, I you know, obviously we don't know the ins and outs of the license sure. thing, but I guess those are still available they for reprint. Made a deal. <laughs> uh, and the fact that he's embedded it in the Marvel Universe is not just like a separate thing. Yeah, uh, I think we definitely going to have to track down one of these I and, and so. check it out ourselves. It's, it just sounds too cool to hear to think about uh, Godzilla <laughs> hanging out with Thor. But uh, that was not the end of Godzilla in the comics, not by a long shot. In 1987, Dark Horse Comics acquired the rights to Godzilla and for the next 12 years published various comic books and trade paperbacks based on him. In 1987, they published a black and white one-shot comic called Godzilla, King of the Monsters Special Number 1. Between 1988 and 1989, Dark Horse published a six-issue miniseries simply called Godzilla. This was a translated version of the Japanese manga of the film The Return of Godzilla. The series was reprinted in the trade paperback Godzilla, which was reissued in 1990 and then reissued in 1995. It was also reprinted in color in the miniseries Dark Horse Classics Terror of Godzilla 1 through 6 from 1998 to 1999. But in 1992, the one-shot Godzilla Color Special Number 1 was published. That would be reprinted as simply Dark Horse Classics Godzilla in 98. In 1993, Godzilla was featured in the anthology series Dark Horse Comics in issues 10 and 11. That same year, Godzilla was also featured in a pair of one-shot comics, Urban Legends Number 1, which dispels the dual-ending myth from the film King Kong vs. Godzilla, and of course, Godzilla vs. Barkley which we just read. Uh, that mm-hmm. dual-ending myth, by the way, was a persistent legend that Godzilla wins in the end of the Japanese version of King Kong vs. Godzilla, which is not true. It's hmm. interesting, which is actually something I had believed for many years also, just because I thought that that sounded right. But uh, Yeah, it does it, sound. It, I could totally get you there, yeah. yeah. Now, uh, in 1995, Godzilla appeared in the one-shot comic Godzilla vs. Hero Zero. And also starred in a second ongoing series called Godzilla, King of the Monsters, and that would run from issues 0 through 16. This was the 90s. Uh, May uh, 1995 through September 1996 cover dates. Uh, Now, this run has a story arc in which Godzilla was flung through time by a villain who uses him to cause the San Francisco earthquake of 1906, also to sink the RMS Titanic, and to battle the Spanish Armada. Oh, all right. Well, that explains a lot then, yeah. Kept him busy. <laughs> and and it, it doesn't involve him bouncing a basketball for 100 years. <laughs> I guess uh, in, in 1996, Godzilla would appear in the anthology series Dark Horse Presents. Uh, that's issues 106, as well as the four-issue miniseries A Decade of Dark Horse. And he showed up there in issue number four. Uh, finally, in 1998, Godzilla appeared in trade paperbacks and miniseries that were simply reprinting some of that older material. Uh, this included the miniseries Dark Horse Classics, Godzilla King of the Monsters 1 through 6, as well as the trade paperbacks Godzilla Age of the Monsters and Godzilla Past, Present, and Future. 
1994, Treadmasters Toys published a mini-comic called Godzilla King of the Monsters that came packaged with some of the figures from their Godzilla toy line. And then in 1998, Fox Kids Magazine featured two Godzilla the Series comics to promote the animated series, one based on the Monster Wars trilogy and the other being an original story. But then in 2010, IDW Publishing obtained the rights for the license to Godzilla, and boy, they have made a go of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Unlike the previous companies who licensed Godzilla, IDW was able to acquire the rights to other Toho movie monsters. These include Angiris, Rodan, Mothra, King Ghidorah, Kumanga, Hedorah, Gigan, Mechagodzilla, Titanosaurus, Batra, Space Godzilla, Distoroya, Moguera, Varin, Manda, Baragon, Gaira, Sanda, Ebira, Kamakuras, Gorosaurus, Gezora, Camobus, Camibus, Camobus, Camibus, yeah, I don't know. One of those. Uh, Jet Jaguar, Megalon, King Caesar, Bialante, and Mecha King Ghidorah, Orga, Megagiris, Zilla, and Monster X, also known as Kaiser, G- Kaiser Ghidorah. See, I, I really just wanted you to say a bunch of these words, Chris. I'm, I'm glad we <laughs> <No>. could do that. <laughs> <laughs> From uh, March 2011 to February 2012, IDW published their first Godzilla series, and that was a 12-issue series called Godzilla Kingdom of Monsters, and that had changing creative teams. It launched with a painted cover by Alex Ross, as well as a record 100-plus... Wow. Variant covers. Then record. (laughs) Then record. It's been beaten. Oh, oh Lordy. Uh, And uh, most of these were, of course, retailer incentives. Uh, This promotion allowed comic book shop owners to have personalized variants uh, featuring their store being demolished by Godzilla's foot if they ordered over 500 copies, and it was probably just a building with a sign-up. I have a feeling, yeah. Uh, Godzilla Kingdom of Monsters, number one, was therefore able to sell out all of its first printing. Well, how about that? I believe that a Marvel Star Wars number one had more than a hundred variants. You're probably right. But, yeah. uh, be up, but before that, I bet this was the, the one to do it. Uh, mm-hmm. In August 2011, IDW released a one-shot comic called Godzilla Kingdom of Monsters 100 Cover Charity Spectacular. This comic featured all the unique, unique covers of the comic book store smashing variants of issue number one. Proceeds of the sale went to benefit the International Medical Corps for Tsunami Relief in Japan. That was obviously very recent after that tsunami that uh, mm. hit hit the uh, coast of Japan. Yes. Uh, IDW published a five-issue miniseries called Godzilla, Gangsters and Goliaths from June to October 2011. That was then collected as a trade paperback that November. And a second five-issue miniseries called Godzilla Legends was published from November 2011 to March 2012, collected in June. From May 2012 to May uh, 2013, IDW would publish their second ongoing series, and they just called that one Godzilla. It ran for 13 issues. A third five-issue miniseries called Godzilla The Half-Century War was published from August through December of 2012, and this has been collected a few different ways. Uh, from June 2013 to June 2015, IDW published Godzilla Rulers of Earth, and that would run 25 issues. IDW published a five-issue miniseries called Godzilla Cataclysm, which was published from August through December 2014 and was collected as a trade in March 2015. In June 2014, IDW published a one-shot comic called Godzilla, the IDW Era, 
Uh, this one-shot gave a brief overview of all the various IDW Godzilla series and miniseries in publication over the past three years. They are milking it, folks. They are. Mm-hmm. They have this property, and they plan to use it. Uh, <laughs> a, five, a fifth five-issue miniseries called Godzilla in Hell was published from July to November 2015, collected in February of the next year. That's one I do have. That's all different uh, artists contributed to it. Okay. Uh, a sixth, and it's actually interesting because I believe it's wordless, except for Skriank. I think there's no <laughs> there other dialogue, but uh, a a sixth a sixth five issue miniseries called Godzilla Oblivion, which was originally going to be titled Godzilla World's End, was published from March to July 2016. That was collected as a trade paperback in October of that year. In June 2016, a one-shot collection called Godzilla Treasury Edition was released. This one-shot would feature reprints of some of uh, James Stokoe's artwork and, uh, and, and his covers from various series and miniseries. The final five-issue miniseries published by IDW was, was called Godzilla Rage Across Time, and that would run from August through November 2016. Issue number one would go to a second printing, and the miniseries was collected as a trade paperback in December 2016. So I'll tell you, Chris. You know, Godzilla's been in. You know, we said like twenty six movies, I believe. I think mm-hmm. I think he's been in more comic series at this point. Yeah, I, I think he's. I think he's more of a comic star. A comic, you know. <laughs> even if we just, even if we're just counting America, if we go into Japan, obviously that's he's sure uh, huge, and it's 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 interesting. Um, I would even say if you're not necessarily a huge Godzilla fan, I mean, some working familiarity with the fact that he's a giant dinosaur that steps on buildings. That's pretty much. Mm-hmm. What you need to know. I think you get. I think you can have fun with these. Uh, with these sure. books, they. Uh, you know, they're 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 silly, but that's all part of the, the kitschy charm. fun. The yep. charm is exactly the right <laughs> the right word. Uh, but if you'd like to talk to us about Godzilla or Godzilla in comics or Charles Barkley or very limited discussion on basketball, you can write to us <laughs> at weirdcomicshistory at gmail dot com. Find us over on Facebook at facebook dot com slash cosmic tmail history. Tumble us on Tumblr at CosmicTMillHistory.tumblr.com. And we're on Twitter at CosmicTMill. I'm on Twitter at ReggieReggie. I'm at Ace Comics. See our weekly writings uh, about DC Comics on WeirdScienceDCComics.com. And see Chris's personal writings on uh, DC Comics, re- re- reviewing a different DC comic every day of the week on Chris's on InfiniteEarths.com, where it can be a DC comic from any point in history. Uh, you did your brightest May, and now you've kind of all done. Yep. Now you've been just dipping into some early uh, century some Teen Titans. Titans. Some yeah, just playing around. Uh, I, I'm I'm at my worst when I have no uh, when I have no uh, goal. So yeah. I'm just kind of flailing, just seeing what's what. Flailing around. Uh, you got to go check it out though. You have he has a full rundown of them. Uh, great pictures of the whole thing, and then at the end you have your thoughts on them, and then even interesting ads. I'm telling you, folks. It's the next best thing to read in the comic. Got to go check it out. Yes, we we also have uh, the show site, weirdcomicshistory.blogspot.com, where you'll find all of our show notes. Uh, Last week's we had uh, included a lot of links, a lot of uh, videos, uh, a big deal over there. Uh, This week we will hopefully have uh, some some Charles Barkley dunking action up there as well. I think Uh, think we'll at least have the uh, the commercial. The commercial. see the actual commercial up there. And and there there is actually a clip of him... uh, 
dunking on uh, Barney the dinosaur, which uh, troubled my brother-in-law as Uh-oh. a child. Oh, whoa, whoa. Yeah, so we'll, maybe we'll get that one up there. I don't there know if I want to trigger people with that thing, you know? <laughs> we'll, put a, we'll put a trigger warning on that, but <laughs> purple dinosaurs will be injured, or at least knocked down and served in basketball. Oh, I think I have to see that myself, whether I don't know who gets triggered. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, that's, uh, and we we also uh, can't forget we have all those uh, <laughs> all those pre-crisis appearances of the monitor. Oh yes, we haven't we haven't pushed that in a little while. I figured give the monitor his due. It's still there. That's the first entry is all is every pre-crisis uh, you know showing of the monitor. So it's uh, worth checking out. But we we're kind of building a little archive over there of absolutely things. I gotta say. So uh, yeah, this one this will have the commercial. We'll have the creators. Uh, URLs and stuff. So I, I've said it before. I'll say it again because why not? Where else am I going to talk about this? But if you are a listener to the show, regular listener, you might want to go over there and check it out because not only are they all in order, which our Podbean fiend looks like, you know, a, a mess, but the, everything's alphabet soup, yeah. Everything's ordered and split in between Cosmic Treadmill and Weird Comics History and the show notes. You know, sometimes there's nothing really to say about it, but when there is, this can be quite a bevy of information. Is that a real word, bevy? Did I, I use that correctly? I think that works, yeah. Right. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I think that's all we got from this week, Chris. You got anything else for him? No, that'll do it. Well, until next time, folks, I want you to keep it on the treadmill and get busy. Well, check it out. When I was young, I always wanted to play basketball for the NBA. To shoot the ball in the air, you see, on a two-point trajectory. Hook, rebounds, free throws, and assists. To dunk like that, to dunk like this. To dribble the ball between my legs. To slam the field all behind my head. To finger roll like the Dr. J. To come up with the three-point play. To help my team come from behind by sinking two from the free throw line. To sky hook like a huge ball, to shoot from mid, to shoot from far, to be the best in the world today. Hey, a superstar in the NBA. I said shoot, shoot, loop to loop, to take Jack Sigma to the hoop. I said slam, pow, to hear the sounds of the swish of the nets from the turnaround, to give the game all that I got, to never miss.